Very good. It's good to see you tonight. Glad to have most of our sick folk back with us. Not everybody's excited about that, but I appreciate that, Brother Cecil. You're glad that some of the sick folk are back with us. And uh, anyway, it is good to see you. We've got just a few that are still out with illness, so we need to be in prayer for them still. We need to continue to pray for Tams. And then uh, Nathan got sick today, so he is in the foyer. Uh, he didn't want to be in here with us, but uh, he's not feeling well. And then uh, a few more that are just under the weather. So uh, anyways, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we will get started. Father, it is good to be in your house tonight, and Lord, it is a, a good thing to be able to have this time where we can just break away from everything that's gone on throughout this week, and we can spend some time in your word. I pray that you'd bless it. I pray that you'd use it to speak to our hearts tonight. Lord, for those in our church family who are still sick, who are still battling just this, um, this mess that's going around, I pray that you'd give healing, that you'd give strength. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. I know that most of you know this, but for the last four weeks, we have been in, uh, obviously, Paul's letter there to the believers of Corinth in chapters 8 and 9, and we've watched as Paul has dealt with the subject of giving extensively to that offering that was going to be making its way to Jerusalem, and uh, we've talked about how this was above and beyond what would already be expected of them by way of their obligations and their local assemblies. And last week, we just tried to spend a little bit more time on this subject because it was, uh, in my opinion, it was very helpful what we dealt with. But uh, what Paul made clear was this, that we are going to reap according to how we sow. And so he said, if we sow sparingly, we are going to reap sparingly. But if we reap bountifully, we will also reap bountifully. And I talked about how I think most of us would say we want to reap bountifully. We want to reap all the, the blessings of God that we can in the realm of finances, but we've got to be willing to be generous in our giving. And I have said repeatedly through this study that that can be difficult at times because sometimes the moving of the Spirit of God in our lives to give, it can come at times when it's not convenient for us, uh, when we've got things earmarked in our mind as to where that money is going to go. And so when we give, Paul said, you need to be a cheerful giver because that's what the Lord loves. Don't give grudgingly or out of necessity because you feel obligated to do so. And so that is a challenge for every one of us, isn't it? It absolutely is. And I, I found this amazing. Susie and I were talking about this, and I'm not going to be specific because it would be out of line for me to do so. But I had the chance this week to exercise everything I have preached in the last month. And I'm just here to tell you, it wasn't easy. In the last week, the Lord said, I want you to give this to a particular situation to some people that I've never met. And I thought to myself, Lord, don't you know where that money was going to go? And so I had to wrestle with that. And, and I did wrestle with it. I'm just being honest with you. But it came down to this thought, do I want to be obedient and do I want to be blessed? And if I want to be obedient, then I had to do it. And if I want to be blessed, I had to do it. And, and it's a cycle that we want to stay in, but it can be a challenge sometimes. So we're done dealing with money. If you got out of that unscathed, congratulations. You will not stay out of it unscathed the rest of your life unless you just choose to be disobedient. But uh, anyways, we are moving on tonight, and we're going to be dealing with something completely different. I want to share a story with you for just a couple of moments. I'm going to have to give you some details that will seem unimportant, but if I don't give you some context, 
I'll just sound really weird in a few minutes, and I don't want that. So I'm going to share some details about this particular story I'm going to, to give you, and I think you'll be able to identify with this to one extent or another. But on my car, I have this little push-button thing that you can put in a code, and that will unlock your doors for you. It's old technology that Ford has had on cars for a long time. It happens to be on my car, and so I like the ability to unlock my car from the outside by pushing those buttons. That being one piece of the puzzle, there is another piece of the puzzle that goes like this. I don't enjoy having things in my pocket. I don't enjoy really carrying a wallet. I don't enjoy carrying keys. I don't enjoy carrying my cell phone in my pocket. I just, it's one of those weird things about me. I don't enjoy having things in my pocket. So every once in a while, if I feel it's safe and I feel it's appropriate, rather than putting my keys in my pocket, I'll just put them in the cup holder. Then I'll lock my car knowing that I can push the buttons to get in whenever I need to. So that's the second piece of the puzzle, again, trying to, to build this to where I don't look like a complete idiot. If you're like me, you know what this is like as well, that sometimes when you go to your car, your hands are full. And so when your hands are full, sometimes you have to do kind of a balancing act to try to make sure that you don't drop whatever may be in your hand, as opposed to trying to get the door open and get whatever it is in your hands into the car and so on those occasions where I haven't locked my keys in the car on purpose, here's what I'll do. I'll take my key and I'll stick it in my mouth because I've got a little leather piece that's on the keychain that the kids gave me. So I know it's not the cleanest approaches to take to, to getting into the car, but I'll have that key hanging in my mouth. I've got my hands full. I'll unlock the car. I'll put the stuff in the car and then I'll get in. So if you keep all this together in your mind, I, I want to share with you something that happened a couple of days ago. I had gone out to my car, and I, I had a, a full set of hands. I had my key with me, and I had just unlocked the car before I uh, put the key in my mouth and before I gathered everything up. And so as I had the key in my mouth and my hands were full, I went out to the car. I managed to open the car door. I set the stuff inside the back seat, got into the front seat, and here's what I did instinctively. I looked over into the cup holder for my key. Now, here's where my key was, dangling out of my mouth. Can I just share with you that you feel kind of dumb looking for a car key that is dangling out of your mouth? I mean, you, you really have to ask yourself, how obvious does it have to be for you to realize you've got a pretty good-sized key hanging off of a keychain hanging out of your mouth? But yet I managed to miss that for just a moment. Now, I know that that's not completely unusual. I, I would imagine that some of you have looked for your cell phone when it was in your hand or in your pocket. Some of you have maybe been looking for those sunglasses that were on top of your head. Maybe you were looking for the tool on the shelf and it was right there in front of you and yet somehow you managed to miss it. I just want us to see this and I just want us to consider this thought. Isn't it amazing how much we can miss regardless of how obvious it is? 
I mean, it's right there in front of us. It is in plain sight. It should be as clear as anything could be. And yet somehow we still manage to miss it. How does that happen? I have no idea. But it happens. As I was thinking about that, I was thinking about this from a spiritual standpoint, that it is true that sometimes there are spiritual truths that are so clear that we still somehow manage to miss. I mean, there is this truth right in front of us. There is this, there is this principle that is right in front of us. And we're looking at it, and it should be so obvious as to what the truth is, as to what the principle is. I mean, it should be as obvious as a key dangling out of your mouth. But yet we still somehow manage to overlook it. And so tonight, I don't know if this is going to be a message where you would say at the end of it, well, oh man, I've never missed that truth. I've never missed that principle. But I know for myself, I have missed this truth and I have missed this principle. I think some of you have as well. I don't think I'm alone on this. And I'm hoping tonight when it's all said and done, for those of us who have missed it in times past, maybe we'll be a little bit more aware of what is right in front of us. Maybe we'll be a little bit more mindful of it in the days to come. So as you keep that in mind, you can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 tonight. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 is where we're going to be. And as you find your place there, I just want to remind us of what has gone on in the previous chapters of this letter that Paul has written to the believers of Corinth. You may remember, I think you should remember, that one of the things that Paul has addressed is the integrity of his ministry in relation to the believers there at Corinth. You may remember that after Paul and those who traveled with him had left, there were false prophets who had come in and they had undermined the integrity and the authority of the Apostle Paul. They said things like this, that the Apostle Paul only said what was convenient, that, that he was in it just for what he could get out of it, that he was a man who, who really could not be depended upon, who could not be counted on. And we know that with everything that these false prophets had said, it had, it had had an impact on the lives of many of the believers there. And so Paul had written a letter and kind of defended himself and, and helped those in the church get their thinking back on straight and where it needed to be. But, but here's what you find out. If you consider this story, if you consider this text, uh, in light of everything that's gone on, there were still obviously some influences in the church who were trying to undermine the authority of the Apostle Paul, and there were still some in the church who were being affected by those who were attacking Paul, and again, those who traveled with him. And so as we come to chapter 10, we've been dealing now for the last few weeks on the subject of giving, and as I said a moment ago, Paul changes his thoughts and he changes his direction drastically, and he is going to be addressing not just the situation with the false prophets, but those who have been affected by it as well. So notice what Paul says in verse number 1. Verse number 1 of chapter 10, here is what Paul said. He said, Now I beseech, or now I, Paul, myself, beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ who in presence am base among you, but being absent am bold towards you. Now here is what some scholars believe, and this seems to make sense. 
is that as Paul begins to write this portion of his letter, he's going to write it based on some of what he has heard being said of him uh, behind his back. All right. So he says in this first part, I myself, Paul, beseech you by the meekness or the humility and the gentleness, the kindness of Christ, who in presence am base among you. So what does it mean whenever Paul says that in his presence, or in, yes, in his presence, that he is base among them? Well, the idea would be this, is that, is that Paul had a weak, unintimidating presence in their midst, okay? So kind of like when Paul was with them in person, the idea was, or the assumption was, or the statements were these, is that his presence was weak, that it wasn't really too impressive, and yet, he said, but being absent, am bold towards you. So what is the idea there that Paul is communicating? Well, he is saying this, it seems, that there were those who were of this opinion that Paul got a whole lot more bold when he was sitting somewhere writing a letter when he wasn't in the presence of the people he was actually trying to confront. Now, if you think about that, there could be at times some merit to that kind of a thought process, couldn't there? I mean, if you've ever dealt with people on social media, here's what you know. Some people are very tough sitting in front of a computer with a keyboard with thousands of miles in between them. But if you put them in the room with those people that they were confronting, they they wouldn't dream of saying that kind of stuff. So there are some people who feel much more bold when they feel completely safe in what it is they're about to say. But that does not seem to be the nature and the personality of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul never really gives off this perception or this idea that he was afraid to confront people to their face. It was something that he was willing to do, though it was not, it seems, something that he desired to do. Now, now this is important, okay? The Apostle Paul was willing to confront, but he didn't necessarily want to confront But this idea or this notion that he only had boldness when he was separated from his audience, that was not honest and that was not fair. That was not a true true picture of who he was. So as you consider that, you go to verse number 2 and he says this, But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present, with that confidence, wherewith I think to be bold against some. So again, writing to the believers there in Corinth, he's not really right now addressing the false prophets. He is addressing those who made up the church. And he says, I am begging you and I am beseeching you and I am pleading with you that I may not be bold when I am present with that confidence wherewith or though I think to be bold against some. So what is Paul saying? He is saying this, I do plan on being bold with some. I just hope it's not you that I have to be bold with. And again, I think all of us have been in situations like that where we know that we have to deal with certain things. And what we're hoping is this, is that with this person or with this party, we don't have to go there. We're hoping they'll get their act together. We're hoping that they'll begin to see things more clearly before it gets to this point. And so what Paul is saying is, is I really hope I don't have to be bold with you. I really hope I don't have to confront you. But I do have every intention 
of confronting some. So who did he have the intention of confronting? Well, he says there in verse number 2 that it was those which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. So again, you got to ask the question, what is Paul trying to communicate? Well, he's trying to communicate this, that the false prophets who were telling lies about him, some of what they were saying, obviously, was that Paul and the others walked or lived according to the flesh. That Paul would not have been somebody who was led by the Spirit. That Paul was not someone who tried to yield himself to the leadership of the Lord in his life. And so what they were saying of Paul and the others is, here is how Paul lives. He just lives according to the desires of the flesh. Now, did Paul ever suggest he was perfect? Well, no. Did did Paul ever suggest that he never did anything wrong? Well, obviously not. Would Paul have ever said that there was nothing that he could not work on? Well, again, of course not. But Paul would not allow it to be said of him that he just lived according to the desires of the flesh and gave no consideration to the things of God in his life. That obviously bothered Paul as it should anybody who takes their spiritual life serious. If somebody said of you that you just live after the desires of the flesh and you have no real consideration for the things of God, I would hope that within you that would stir you just a little bit to defend yourself and say, listen, I'm not perfect, but that's not true. I'm just saying, if if I heard certain things about me, I would want to be quick to try to defend myself and say, listen, that's not entirely accurate. That's not entirely true. And so Paul is saying that these are the ones that I plan on confronting. These are the ones that I plan on being bold with. But notice in verse number three, he says this. For though we walk in the flesh... We do not war after the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. So again, Paul kind of takes a hard turn, doesn't he? So, well, I don't know. Why would you say that? Well, he talks about a war. What, what is a war? Well, that would be a battle, would it not? That, that would be where there is some kind of an engagement with the enemy. Okay, so he says, we do walk in the flesh, but we do not war after the flesh. So what's Paul admitting? He's admitting this, I'm flesh and bone just like anyone else. I'm no different than anyone else. I mean, I do walk in the flesh, but I do not walk according to the flesh. So I live in this body, yes, I'm just like everyone else, but I don't just let myself live however I want to live and do whatever I want to do. And in this life, here is where I'm at, Paul says, that we do not war after the flesh. So, so Paul, what are you saying? This seems a bit confusing. Okay, he's talking about the spiritual realm of life, and now he says that in this war or in this battle or in, in this engagement, he said we don't war after or according to the things of the flesh. So Paul is talking about the spiritual realm of things, and he is saying we don't have weapons, per se. We, we don't have a military tactic, so to speak. It, it's not that kind of a war. So notice in verse number four, he just said this. 
For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. See, if you and I think of a battle, if you and I think of a war, we begin to think of things that we can see and things that we can touch, do we not? I mean, if somebody said to me tonight, okay, Kyle, you're going to go into battle tonight. You're going to go into war. You're going to engage with an enemy this evening. Here is what I would want as best I could be. I would want to be prepared and I would want to be suited as best I could because that's how my mind thinks. But the warfare that Paul is talking about is a spiritual warfare. And so he says, the weapons of our warfare, they are not carnal. So his weaponry is a spiritual weaponry for the battle that he is engaged in in this conflict. For those who are lying about him, for those who are misrepresenting him, for those who are trying to ruin his reputation and his testimony, Paul says this is not a war of the flesh, but this is a spiritual battle, and the weapons for this warfare are not carnal, but, he says, they are mighty or powerful through God, to the pulling down or the destroying of strongholds. What does that mean? It was just a picture being painted in their minds of something they would have understood, that cities in their day, as I understand, they would have had places that were considered stronger than other places in the city where they could go to in the midst of a battle, in the midst of an attack. And and Paul is saying, even in those strongholds, even in those strong areas of this kind of warfare, the power of God or the warfare, the weapons of God, they are mighty to tear down those strongholds. So if we can keep this in mind, and certainly Paul continues on his thoughts, and we'll deal with that in the weeks to come, but if we can, if we can keep this in mind, here's what we've got. We've got Paul saying, listen, I'm coming. And I don't want to have to be bold with you, believers in Corinth. But I do plan on being bold with those who are ruining or seeking to destroy my reputation. But I'm not coming with ammunition, and I'm not coming with firepower, and I'm not coming with weapons that you can hold and you can see and you can touch and you can use. He said, Our weapons, they are not carnal, which means they would have been spiritual. And so if we can, I want us to see this. Here is what Paul realized, that what he was engaged in was a spiritual battle, a spiritual warfare that could only be battled from that approach. Now, now, you got to follow this. Would Paul have enjoyed to take some men outside and rough them up a little bit? He probably would have enjoyed it. His flesh would have loved it, I think. But Paul realized this is not the kind of battle we're engaged in. Now tonight, if we'll keep all that in mind, again, if we'll hold on to that, I want us to think about this. That as you and I go through life, there is no denying 
that we are going to have conflicts and we are going to have issues with people. You knew that, didn't you? Come on now. You knew that, didn't you? That as you go through life, you're probably going to have some conflict and you're probably going to have issues with people. Okay. Some of you still are not convinced of this, and, and it must be a wonderful world for you to not be aware of that. But, but for the rest of us who, who recognize there are some, some conflicts and some issues that take place with people in our lives, I want us to think about this. I know I'm being repetitive whenever I say this, but this is important that we understand this, that most, if, I, I don't want to say all, but so many of the, of the conflicts and the issues that we are dealing with are rooted in spiritual issues more than they are anything else. The conflicts that I have and the conflicts that you have, here is what we can be sure of. Here is what we can be, be positive of, is that more times than not... It is of a spiritual matter that has created the conflict more than anything else. You say, I I don't know exactly what you mean. Okay, let, let me just throw some things out here and, well, let's just see if, if it applies to you. If you're married... Have you ever had conflict with your spouse? Well, nobody will even bite on that one. Guilty. I'll just be honest with you. Guilty like right before we got to church tonight. Like had to pull her inside the office real quick to say, hey, listen, I'm sorry because uh, the conflict was there. Now, now I want you to think about this the next time that you have some conflict with your spouse. That it more than likely is rooted in some kind of a spiritual issue rather than some other kind of issue. I'm just saying more times than not, what causes the conflict, say, between a husband and a wife, it's, it's not because of, uh, of some terrible deed that was done, but one of us isn't where we ought to be in our spiritual life in that moment. Come on, I'm, I'm trying to show us a principle here, okay? Just like Paul was dealing with conflict with these people who were trying to, to damage his testimony, listen, our conflict with our spouse, it doesn't mean that she's always the wicked one or he's always the evil one, but what it does mean is this, is there is probably, most likely, some kind of a spiritual issue that has manifested itself in such a way that the conflict is present. He or she probably isn't that different in that moment than what they normally are. But maybe we haven't been praying as much as maybe we ought to be. Maybe we haven't been in the Word as much as we should have been. 
Maybe we're just being a little too selfish. Maybe we're just being a little too sensitive. Now, I, I want us to think about this. In that moment, what would we like? Well, we'd like some grace, but some of us would like some hand-to-hand combat, right? One more time, woman. I, I mean, really, let's, we don't say it, but let's just be honest. We've thought it, right? I'm bigger than you, and I'm stronger than you, and I can take care of this. But see, that's, that's not how the conflict is supposed to be addressed. This is a spiritual issue. So what does the weapon have to be? It has to be of a spiritual nature. Now let me ask you, isn't that about as obvious as a key dangling out of your mouth? Well, it should be. But isn't it amazing how many times we miss it? Well, he's just this, and he's just this, and he's just that, or she's just this, and she's just that, and and she's always this way. No, that's not the truth. But because we've gotten messed up in our spiritual thinking, then our total outlook has been affected and skewed. Amen. Think about this. Whenever you've got conflict with your children or children you've got conflict with your parents, more times than not, it's a spiritual issue than it is anything else. No. Yes. Could we just be honest and admit that our kids aren't always where they're at, where they ought to be at spiritually, and that's going to impact our relationship with them? Come on, who we are spiritually as individuals, it impacts every realm of our lives. And so if our kids are not where they're supposed to be spiritually, here is what we can expect. We can expect some conflict. And what we as parents need to be able to see is this, is that is a spiritual issue more than it is anything else. The reason they've got the attitude is because of a spiritual issue. The reason that they're lazy is because of a spiritual issue. The reason that they're rolling their eyes like they are, that is a spiritual issue more than it is anything else. And what do we need to deal with? We need to deal with the spiritual side of that, not the physical side of it all the time. Let's be honest. Sometimes we'd like to do the physical part, right? That's easier than addressing the spiritual part. We get to address it physically. We feel better because we've let some steam off. But the problem is, is we didn't address the spiritual part of it. But the conflict with our children many times is a spiritual issue. But if we're going to say that, then we need to acknowledge this, that sometimes it's a spiritual issue with us toward our kids. The kids really aren't that different than what they've always been, but we are out of line in our spiritual lives. Come on now. Sometimes our kids would like to take us outside and try to rough us up a little bit. That'd be their last mistake. I'm, listen, I'm just saying they'd like to do it. Uh, now, now, watch. I'm trying to show us something here, okay? 
Sometimes the reason that the conflict exists between us and our kids is not because they're a rebellious punk with an attitude. Sometimes we've got an attitude toward them because we're not where we're supposed to be spiritually. So all of a sudden we're this overbearing, demanding parents who our kids can't do anything right and they're exasperated because no matter what they do, they get in trouble. Friends, that ought to be obvious to us that our spirit is messed up. But if we don't see that, we're not going to address the real issue at hand. That person at work that you have a conflict with, more times than not, it's got a spiritual connection than it does anything else. And you ought to see this by now. I think that you do. It's not always their fault. Sometimes at work, we can be the jerk. When there's conflict in the church family, You know what it stems from more times than not? Spiritual issues. Not real overbearing personality issues. It's spiritual issues. Whenever you find that you're frustrated with some of your church family, it may not always be their fault. It might be, but I'm just saying it may not always be their fault. Sometimes when you're frustrated with this person in the church or you're frustrated with the pastor, listen, I'm not saying that I'm perfect, so don't read that into what I'm saying. But but I'm just saying sometimes it's not always everybody else's fault. Sometimes it's your fault and sometimes it's my fault because our spiritual lives are not where they're supposed to be. And friends, that ought to be obvious to us. That, that more times than not, the conflict that exists, it is rooted in some kind of a spiritual issue. But how many times is that right in front of us and we manage to miss it? It's almost like we have no recognition of the fact that that this could be because of our pride. It's almost like we have no recognition of the fact that that this could be the result of our our, our hard-headed, determined spirit. It's right there in front of us. And we want to address it from every angle except the spiritual angle. I don't care who the conflict is with. I don't care what it's about. I'm just of the opinion, and I was reminded of it as I prepared for this message. I'm just of the opinion that more times than not, there is a spiritual issue at hand working against the relationship being what it's supposed to be. And so tonight, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna throw a couple of thoughts out here at us, and and, and see how it lands. Okay, I, I know it'll be different for each person, but but just see how this lands in your mind. 
in recent days, however far back in your minds you want to go, in recent days, have you had conflict with anyone? You say, well, yeah, Brother Kyle, I'm like you. It was on the way to church. Yeah, it was recent. But you may say, well, no, Brother Kyle, it hasn't been recent. I mean, it's been like a day. And for you, you think you're doing good, right? It's only been, a, it's been like a day since had conflict with anyone. Whatever the time frame is, have you, have you had conflict with anyone? What did you view then to be the source of that conflict? Spouse, child, parent, friend, church, family, co-worker. What did you view to be the source of that conflict? Their attitude, their lazy work ethic, their spirit, their rebellion, whatever it may be, uh, that may be right. But did we see it for the spiritual nature that it was? Again, sometimes whenever we have conflict, we want to approach it from every angle but the angle from which it really needs to be considered, that being the spiritual. That's the only way that conflict really gets resolved, is it not? Is whenever this person works on whatever issues they've got and we work on whatever issues we've got. Has there been conflict? What did we view it as the source, or, or, or how did we see the source of it uh, in, in our minds? What did it look like? It was probably spiritual. And then we've got to realize this. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Our weapons are spiritual. And they're powerful. But we have to be willing to use those weapons if we want to see those strongholds pulled down. I just wonder sometimes in the midst of the conflict, are we really praying about it like we should? Are we really bringing this before the Lord in the way that we ought? Or is it some other approach? It's not a matter of whether or not we will have conflict. We will have conflict. Will we view it in the way that we ought, that it's spiritual more times than anything else? Or will we completely miss it? Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for prayer. Fathers, I come to you this evening. I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to look back over the course of recent days and maybe some conflict we've had with someone. Lord, would you help us to realize that many times it's right there in front of us that there's a spiritual issue at hand more than anything else. God, would you help us to be willing to address it from a spiritual standpoint then rather than, than some kind of earthly approach that we could take? pray that you'd help us however you'd see fit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.